Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at The New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today, if they hold an undocumented criminal too long, they're violating the Constitution. If they don't, they're crossing the White House. The impossible bind of sheriffs navigating Trump's immigration crackdown. It's Monday, September 18th. Sergio Jose Martinez is 31 years old. He's from Mexico. He lives in Portland, Oregon. And in July, he was arrested. And now a 31-year-old man faces serious charges after allegedly attacking two women in Portland. The charges come after he allegedly attacked a 65-year-old woman in her northeast Portland home Monday morning. And after that, assaulted another woman in a parking garage. And the police say that he did all of this in a psychosis induced by methamphetamine. Yeah, well, Jennifer, police tell us that Martinez didn't know either of his victims, that they're all complete strangers. What's more is that these two sexual assaults seemingly happened in broad daylight. My colleague Caitlin Dickerson has been reporting on how his story is being used in a larger battle. And his case has been elevated and has received a lot of national attention. And why is that? Because the Trump administration says it's an example of a fundamental issue between local authorities and federal immigration authorities that's putting the public at risk because it turns out he had been deported 20 times previous. 20 times. He's been deported 20 times to be exact. At least 20 times after being deported. He's been deported. You ready? 20 times. Despite a rap sheet this troubling, Martinez was still waltzing around Northeast Portland on July 24th. Drug charges, trespassing, possession of a stolen vehicle, reckless endangerment, and all these charges in just the past year. Wow, this is a serial criminal. Yes, a serial criminal. And he was just in jail just months before all this happened. He was sitting in jail in Portland. Immigration authorities asked the sheriff to hold him in custody so they could come and pick him up. Mm -hmm. And the sheriff didn't. Instead, he let him walk out of the jail. And then this crime occurred. Immigration officials had explicitly asked the Portland police to help them deport this serial criminal, and they didn't. Why didn't they? Because doing so would have violated the Constitution. How can that possibly be? 
right? So this is something that happens all the time. Immigration authorities issue these requests. They're called detainers, and they ask sheriffs to hold people for 48 hours after their criminal release dates to give ICE enough time, practically speaking, to come and pick them up. But here's the problem. As soon as someone posts bail or as soon as their criminal sentence is complete, under the Constitution, they have to be released. And numerous courts, including federal circuit courts, have found that holding somebody in custody for any additional period of time constitutes an unlawful seizure. So the Trump administration is asking local police departments to essentially violate the Constitution when they ask them to hold these criminal undocumented immigrants longer than their sentences. That's exactly what's happening. And how frequently is it happening? It's happening a lot. So this is a longstanding issue, and it was a problem and a source of friction between federal and local authorities under the Obama administration as well. But under President Trump's general ratcheting up of immigration enforcement, Mm -hmm. these detainer requests have gone up to by more than 80 percent. So they issue roughly 12,000 every month. And we don't have an exact number for how many are ignored, but hundreds of sheriff's departments across the country have policies where these detainers come in and they just get ignored. They get thrown in the trash. So if these documents, these detainers are not binding, what happens to a sheriff who does not comply with it? Immigration and Customs Enforcement now rolling out its weekly report shaming sanctuary cities that don't honor ICE detainer requests for criminal illegal immigrants. Under President Trump, they're likely to be publicly shamed. Hmm. The administration came up with something called a decline detainer report, but it became known colloquially as the bad sheriff's list. Hmm. Six of the top 10 cities are, and the counties are in, you guessed it, California. Just 10 cities released almost 600 criminal aliens. The worst include Los Angeles, New York City, Kern County, which is Bakersfield, Clark County, Nevada, which is Las Vegas, and San Diego. They list jurisdictions that aren't honoring detainers, the name of the sheriff. In some cases, they list the name of the person who ICE wanted to be held in custody. And these reports were very quickly picked up in local media Mm -hmm. and got sheriff's constituents really angry. So the administration has stopped publishing the list temporarily. Every year, too many American lives are victimized as a result of sanctuary city policies, whether it be theft, robbery, drugs, assault, battery, even murder. But more informally, Jeff Sessions and the president will very often refer to these cases specifically, name the jurisdiction, name the sheriff in speeches that get picked up and get national attention. After Cook County ignored ISIS detainer request, refused to honor it, the alien drove under the influence once again just a few months later, and this time he struck and killed a skateboarder. And that can be really problematic for sheriffs because sheriffs are elected. And these cases like that of Sergio Martinez get people really riled up, get their constituents really upset. Sadly, we know Chicago is not alone. Just three weeks ago, Sergio Jose Martinez was arrested in Portland, Oregon. He was an illegal alien who had been deported at least 20 times. Sheriffs tend to be bewildered and confused because... If you remember, President Trump had very strong support among law enforcement during Mm -hmm. his campaign. Federal immigration authorities properly lodged a detainer against him, but authorities in Oregon refused. And they're confused because they saw the Trump administration as allies. They say we're doing everything (laughs) that 
we can to help you. But they're still facing this public criticism. And it's not just political statements and and angry constituents. There's also money on the line. The administration has threatened to withhold federal funds from localities that don't honor detainers. So the sheriffs are really in a difficult situation. At its root, it is a rejection of our immigration laws and a declaration of open borders. And this is lawlessness. It makes no sense as a matter of policy. It's not moral or legal. There are 3,000 sheriff's departments across the country, and advocacy groups have tracked at least hundreds of them who have policies where they don't honor ICE detainer requests. So theoretically, those hundreds of jurisdictions could let out people like Sergio Martinez without alerting the federal government. Absolutely. They do let those people out. But the other thing that's really important to understand here is that these cases are rare. They're really extreme. And that most undocumented immigrants who pass through jails are facing low-level charges, things like driving without a license, public intoxication. Look, advocates point out that undocumented immigrants commit crimes at lower rates than the general public, and that an American citizen under the exact same circumstances would also have been released. Still, sheriffs say these cases are really difficult because they take an oath to protect the community. Hmm. They see it as their role, and they tend to favor law and order. And yet they're confined by the Constitution. They feel like their hands are tied behind their backs. And sometimes that does result in them having to release serial criminals back into the community. So as I would describe it, in 2014 the entire detainer scheme blew up. So there's a sheriff in Pinellas County, Florida. His name's Bob Galtieri. And he became really obsessed with this issue of detainers. He's getting detainers one after the other. It became a huge issue for all the sheriffs who operate jails. As we were in a standoff with ICE and with the federal government, and it was inconsistent across the country, some decided that I've got to follow the law. And some decided to release people. Some held their breath and held people, and it was a hodgepodge across the country. So wait, what does happen to people who honor the detainers and hold their breath? Very often they are sued. There's a case in Miami-Dade right now where in direct response to Jeff Sessions' public statements and condemnations of places that don't honor detainers, local officials made an announcement. They said, we're going to play ball with the Trump Hmm. administration. We're going to help with deportations. They were promptly sued. They actually held somebody on an ICE detainer who turned out to be an American citizen. Wow. That case is being litigated now, and the Sessions Justice Department has filed briefs, has asked to present oral arguments, is really trying to go to bat on behalf of this county, and has held it up as an example. But it, like many others, is now caught up in litigation, and it's going to be costly. So these communities have an incredibly difficult choice to make right now. It's an impossible bind, if you think about it. It's violate the Constitution, potentially face very Mm. expensive lawsuits, as many sheriffs have as a result, or put serial criminals back out on the streets and cross the Trump administration and face its wrath. No, I didn't release them. I held on to them, uh, took the chance. I don't want to see somebody get hurt or killed because of what one of these criminal illegals did. And I made a decision that 
the scales tilted uh, the other way, and if somebody sued us, then they sued us, and if I had to pay, I would have paid. Uh, but at the same time, I don't want to put somebody on the street and have them do harm to somebody else. You know, I'm the sheriff, but I'm also a lawyer. I would call it the ultimate dilemma, if you will. It's it, it, There's uh, very few decisions that are as hard as that because you know that you're violating civil rights laws. There's no question about it. And at the same time, our job is, is to affect public safety and make sure that nobody gets hurt. So you're in this quagmire, rock in a hard place where, you know, which side of the job, which side of what your obligation is, which side of your oath is that, which side, which side are you going to compromise here? <laughs> which is the worst of the two evils, violating somebody's rights and violating the law, which you're clearly doing, or put somebody on the street and they go kill someone. He didn't feel good about it. He didn't feel like he was protecting his community as he was charged to do. So he started working really late nights. He started working on weekends, poring over legal textbooks, looking at court precedent, trying to find a solution. And eventually he thinks he came up with one and he honors detainers. He hasn't been challenged in court yet. Hmm. It's a very complicated solution. It's a workaround, but it's under a contract that we have with the United States Marshal Service. We house federal inmates and we are able to come up with a way that we were able to hold these people not using the detainer, but using the contract that we have to house these federal inmates so we were housing them for ICE, but we weren't in a situation where we were executing the warrant. And since we had that in place, we were one of the few agencies in the country. You've got about uh, 3,100 sheriff's offices in the country, 3,100 basically county jails. And we were only one of a few that had that in place. So we were able to come up with this workaround. My legal opinion of this is it's solid. So we've been working hard uh, with uh, ICE and the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Justice to try and get this implemented universally. Uh, I've been to Washington a few times, several times actually, and had meetings and discussions. It, it's actively ongoing right now trying to, what I hope is put the finishing touches on it so we can roll it out nationwide. How is it possible, given how long we have been st- dealing as a country with undocumented immigrants coming over the borders and committing crimes, that there remains this legal conflict and kind of gulf between the federal needs for deportation and the local prosecution and detention of criminals. So it's a little complicated, so stick Mm -hmm. with me for a minute. But at the heart of it is that immigration law is civil law. Being in the country illegally is a violation of civil code. And sheriffs are enforcers of criminal law. They don't have any power to enforce Hmm. civil law. So an immigration officer doesn't have the power to go out and ask a judge for a warrant to hold someone in custody for being in the United States illegally. All they have is this detainer. And a sheriff can't do anything with a detainer. They need a warrant. That's the document that legally allows them to hold somebody in custody. So these two different law enforcement entities are speaking different languages. They don't work well together. And the Trump administration wants sheriffs to sort of bulldoze through that disconnect. But the sheriffs are saying, wait, I I can't do that. The law doesn't allow it. Why isn't it a criminal violation to cross the border? To my mind, it 
It always has been, but I didn't know it wasn't. Yeah, that's interesting. It's definitely a recent change I think you're picking up on in the way that the general public thinks about immigration violations, and that's in large part due to political shifts. We've got an administration who right now I think you can safely say is the least sympathetic to people who have entered the country illegally. But throughout the country's history, I mean, the short answer to your question is just that being here without legal status wasn't a big deal, wasn't as big a deal Hmm. to rise to the level of being considered worthy of a criminal violation. And that's why it's always been codified legally as a civil violation, something where the stakes are a lot lower. So it's like American cultural and political expectations around illegal immigration have not been caught up to by the legal code is essentially what you're saying. Exactly. The legal code lags far behind the way that you hear the president and the attorney general talk about immigration violations today. Or the legal code is exactly where many people think it should be. Both are true, which is why this is such a tricky topic because we're so divided as a country. And has anyone ever tried to fix this disconnect, to basically get these two branches of the government, the local sheriffs and the federal immigration officials, to be speaking the same language? I mean, how is it possible that they're not still? The only way to to truly allow these two groups to speak the same language is to retool the federal immigration law and make it a criminal violation to be in the United States Hmm. illegally. Congress could do that. In the absence of that kind of major change, the Trump administration has made small gestures to try to make detainer requests more legally viable, to to give them more might. For example, they retooled the document and removed the word voluntary, hoping that that might compel Hmm. sheriffs to comply. But sheriffs say we're still facing the same dilemma. You can use whatever language you want, but unless you change the law, we're really stuck. 31-year-old Sergio Martinez appeared in a special jail smock for arraignment today. He's been in the Multnomah County Jail before and once alluded to a suicide attempts, according to court documents. He's charged with sex abuse, sodomy, burglary, robbery, assault, and kidnapping. That brings us back to Sergio Martinez, who was let out because of this conflict in the law and then committed those two crimes. What does the sheriff in Portland say about this. And I wonder how much anguish this case presents for him. This, as far as I can tell, was a really difficult case locally. It's a it's a part of the country where people are very sympathetic to the cause of undocumented immigrants. And yet the case is so brutal that I think the entire community was sort of tied up in knots. So the sheriff in Portland, Mike Reese, said that he felt stuck. He said that he did everything that he could under the law. He wished it didn't happen. He wished that he could have turned Sergio Martinez over to ICE, but he just couldn't. I, Michael Reese, uh, do solemnly swear. Do solemnly swear. That I will support the Constitution of the United States. That I will support the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the State of Oregon. The Constitution of the State of Oregon. And the laws thereof. And the laws thereof. The Charter of the County of Multnomah. This question is so vexing that legal analysts have described it as the biggest legal challenge confronting the Trump administration and its immigration agenda, which, as you know, is what the president was elected on. So until it's resolved, I think 
the federal government and local sheriffs just aren't going to see eye to eye. Of the county of Multnomah. Of the county of Multnomah. According to the best of my ability, so help me God. According to the best of my ability, so help me God. We'll be right back. When times became uncertain, Wampley pivoted their technology platform and committed to help small businesses and self-employed workers get approved for their PPP loan. In just a few months, Wampley has helped one million businesses across America to secure much-needed funding so they can continue to stay open and serve their communities. Wampley helps small businesses thrive. Visit Wampley.com to learn more. Here's what else you need to know today. The Times is reporting that President Trump's legal team is fighting over how much to cooperate with the special counsel looking into Russia's role in the election, a debate that led to an angry confrontation last week between two of Trump's lawyers that could shape the course of the investigation. After a Times reporter heard one of the lawyers, Ty Cobb, discussing the investigation at a steakhouse, Trump's general counsel, Donald McGahn, erupted at him in a sign of the growing tensions. And... The United Nations is not a friend of democracy. It's not a friend to freedom. It's not a friend even to the United States of America, where, as you know, it has its home. President Trump will deliver his first speech to the United Nations this week, after a campaign in which he repeatedly mocked the organization as ineffective and incompetent and challenge the value of international cooperation. This week, the president's going up to the United Nations. He's going to speak. He has talked about an America first policy. That's uh, what he's talked about in office. The United Nations is a collective action group. How does America first fit into a group that uh, an organization that exists through collective action? Well, I think it's a very important week for the president up at the U.N. General Assembly. There's two In an interview on CBS's Face the Nation Sunday, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson said the president would use his speech to promote democratic values, call for action against North Korea and Iran, and to affirm America's commitment to the U.N. I think he does believe the United Nations can be a very important instrument of addressing these threats to the world. But I think he also takes the view that the United Nations has fallen short. And he wants to motivate them uh, in that regard. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbaro. See you tomorrow. You're still running your business on QuickBooks? More like quicksand. The bigger your company grows, the faster you sync with outdated software. NetSuite by Oracle is the scalable solution to run all key back office operations, no matter how big your company grows. 93% of surveyed organizations increase visibility and control since making the switch from QuickBooks to NetSuite. Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program. Head to netsuite.com daily. That's special financing at netsuite.com daily. netsuite.com daily.